Good morning, everyone. It's time for another edition of Transformation Radio. time to begin our reading in the New Testament, and our narrative will come from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 32 through 52. We'll read that Jesus' death and resurrection should have come as no surprise to the disciples. Well, here he clearly explained to them what would happen to him. Unfortunately, they didn't uh, really hear what he was saying. Jesus said he was the Messiah, but they thought the Messiah would be a conquering king. He spoke to them of resurrection, but they heard only his words about death. But Jesus often spoke in parables. The disciples may have thought that his words on death and resurrection were another parable that uh, they simply weren't astute enough to understand. Because Jesus often spoke in parables, 
Well, the disciples may have thought that his words on death and resurrection were just uh, another parable that they weren't astute enough to understand. Jesus' predictions of his death and resurrection show that these events were God's plan from the beginning and, and not accidents. Mark records that John and James went to Jesus with their request. In Matthew, their mother also made the request. Apparently, mother and sons were in agreement in requesting the honored places in Christ's kingdom. Now, the disciples, like most Jews of that day, had the wrong idea of the Messiah's kingdom as predicted by the Old Testament prophets. They thought Jesus would establish an earthly kingdom that would free Israel from Rome's oppression. James and John wanted honored places in it. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's not centered in palaces and thrones, but in the hearts and lives of His followers. The disciples did not understand this until after Jesus' resurrection. Now, James and John said they were willing to face any trial for Christ, and both did suffer. James died as a martyr, and John was forced to live in exile. It's easy to say we'll endure anything for Christ, and yet most of us complain about the most minor problems. We may say that we're willing to suffer for Christ, but are we willing to suffer the minor irritations that sometimes come with serving others? And with that, let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. March 2nd, the New Testament. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 52. They, the disciples, were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside... Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, We're going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones He has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Then they reached Jericho. 
And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Psalm 45, verses 1 through 17. This is called the Messianic Psalm because it prophetically describes the Messiah's future relationship to the church, his body of believers. Verse 2 expresses God's abundant blessing on his Messiah. Verses 6 through 8 find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And the church is described as the bride of Christ in Revelation. Now we'll read about myrrh here today. That's a fragrant gum of an Arabian tree, generally used in perfumes. Aloe is a spice may have come from sandalwood, a close-grained and fragrant wood often used for storage boxes or chests. Cassia was probably made from flowers of the cinnamon tree. These expensive fragrances were appropriate for a king's wedding. The location of this place called Ophir is unknown. We'll read about Ophir here in Scripture today. But it's believed to be either in Arabia or Africa. It was famous as a source of gold. And then this psalm turns poetic. This beautiful section of poetry pictures Christ's bride, the church, with the richest blessings as she unites forever with him. Psalm 45, verses 1 through 17. For the choir director, a love song to be sung to the tune, Lilies, a psalm of the descendants of Korah. Beautiful words stir my heart. I will recite a lovely poem about the king. For my tongue is like the pen of a skillful poet. You are the most handsome of all. Gracious words stream from your lips. God himself has blessed you forever. Put on your sword, O mighty warrior. You are so glorious, so majestic. In your majesty, ride out to victory. Defending truth, humility, and justice. Go forth to perform awe-inspiring deeds. Your arrows are sharp, piercing your enemies' hearts. The nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Myrrh, aloes, and cassia. Perfume your robes. In ivory palaces the music of strings entertains you. King's daughters are among your noble women. At your right side stands the queen, wearing jewelry of finest gold from Ophir. Listen to me, O royal daughter. Take to heart what I say. Forget your people and your family far away. For your royal husband delights in your beauty. Honor him, for he is your lord. The princes of Tyre will shower you with gifts. The wealthy will beg your favor. 
The bride, a princess, looks glorious in her golden gown. In her beautiful robes, she is led to the king, accompanied by her bridesmaids. What a joyful and enthusiastic procession as they enter the king's palace. Your sons will become kings like their father. You will make them rulers over many lands. I will bring honor to your name in every generation. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Go, go. Right. Put my lighter in the air, the 
is his brother, Andy, Andy Reed, going to second phase or third phase. God is an awesome God. I mean, he's really blessed me. Restoration with my family, restoration with my body. Man, I tell you, I came from the Vertez Church slinging coffee like shakiest gun in the West, like Don Knotts. And, but I, it's unbelievable what God has done for me. And uh, he's just an awesome God, absolutely, positively awesome. I love God. And he's restoration with my family. He's just awesome, man. God bless everyone phase one and I'll talk to you later bye this is Doug from phase two today's devotional is two part it's the uh, obstacle to humility and then purging pride both of these are out of the devotional um, in touch by Charles Stanley so the first one we're gonna read out of Proverbs six sixteen through 19 Six things the Lord hates, in fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Humility is a healthy, godly sense of our merits, talents, and achievements. In the life of the believer, one thing stands as an obstacle to humility, pride. To think of oneself above others is the exact opposite of the humble mindset God calls his children to demonstrate. Pride is deceitful in that we might not recognize it in our own hearts. Even more dangerous is the person who is proud on the inside and yet appears humble to others. But God cannot be fooled. Our Heavenly Father hates pride because he knows the destructive power it can have in our lives. When we are proud, what we're really saying is that we know better than God. He places pride, haughty eyes, at the top of the list of seven abominations. That doesn't mean he hates the person who is prideful. God loves all of us. Because of that love, he despises anything that will bring harm to us. Pride blocks our communication with God. Scripture tells us God opposes the proud in James 4, 6. So we must recognize that such an attitude will affect communication with him. We can't expect the Lord to answer our prayers if we approach him with a prideful heart. Our worthiness isn't God's basis for considering the prayer requests we bring. The fact of the matter is that we are not worthy. God instead responds to our need. When we attempt to live in our own strength, we can expect God to ruin our successes, ridicule our schemes, and remove our status. He wants us to renounce our pride before it destroys us. The second part, purging pride, we're going to read out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your cares upon him, because he cares about you. 
To humble ourselves, we must first be willing to detect pride in our heart. But recognizing it isn't the same as getting rid of it. Here are several common areas of pride and some practical solutions for dealing with it. Possessions. Start giving things away. We can begin by honoring God with our tithe. He promises that our nine-tenths will go farther than ten-tenths. The next step is to give someone is to give to someone in need who can give nothing to you in return. But don't parade your generosity around. Keep it as secret as you can, as it says in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. The second is position. Acknowledge that whatever you have accomplished, God has done it for you. Then ask him to show you an area of service that has no rank or credit. Knowing that the Lord values every kind of service, we shouldn't hesitate to request a place that is lower than we're accustomed to. Our position in this world matters only to the extent that we use it to glorify God. Privilege. Realize that many things you may take pride in come through privilege. None of us is truly self-made. No matter how hard you've worked, others have made sacrifices to allow you the opportunities and freedoms you enjoy. Remember, it is actually God's grace that has blessed you with whatever knowledge you may credit yourself for having. No matter what kind of arrogance you deal with, we must take the focus off of ourselves, turning it first to God and then to others. When we are willing to confront our pride actively, God will replace it with a spirit of humility that fits who we are in Christ. Born and raised Under the rain and a western wind Felt the weight Try to live up to the say I am Is it any wonder Shame comes calling my first name Is there any question If I'm the one he left to blame It's the same fight all over again It's the same fight breaking all my skin
can win This is my white flag in the wind Every word you speak Is the air I This concludes today's broadcast. I pray that everyone who tuned in today was blessed by what they heard, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.